runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 302 with guest Benny Lacunashock, recorded Monday, February 4th, 2013. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell, and I'm your host, and today my guest is Benny Lakunashuk. Benny is a senior premier field engineer at Microsoft Israel. He focuses primarily on wraps and workshops, and wraps are programs to help premier customers achieve a healthier IT environment, which he does for Exchange and Windows. And his workshops are primarily the Vital Signs Workshop, which we have talked about before on the show, as well as Exchange 2010 Administration and Troubleshooting. Welcome, Benny. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. And actually, you are one of the first that actually managed to same last name correctly. So I just had to practice well it done. a couple of times. You get it figured out, you know? Yeah. It sounds very Israeli. How's that? It, it's actually, the origin of it is uh, Lithuanian. Lithuanian. Ah, I've even been up there. I spent, yeah. I spent a week in Vilnius once upon a time. Oh, a long time ago. Did you like it? I did, actually. It's an amazing city, you know, the, the, the conjunction of two rivers, like most great cities. Yeah, okay. So let's talk a little bit about your work around exchange, because you, you seem to specialize in helping exchange go faster. Is it really performance issues that exchange struggles with? Yeah, so exchange 2010 took uh, had a big change. It has several big changes, but mm-hmm. one big change is around storage. And the way customers perceive storage in Exchange really changed. Mm-hmm. And then the implementation that we used to have with Exchange, that's the traditional SAM, it doesn't really, uh, I wouldn't say make sense, but we need to change some stuff if we still want to have the SAMs for Exchange. So if you're using SAN storage for your Exchange, when you upgraded up to 2010, you had some surprises. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you did just an upgrade without any, you know, tweaking, without understanding the underlying logic in Exchange, and primarily one of it, well, it's a lot of it, but there is a lot of them, but uh, the, the big issue here that we are doing more larger sequential IOs instead of like what we used to do, which was a, a lot of random smaller IOs. Right. So one of the changes that you need to make is when you're building the RAID, either in SAN or in a local storage like that, you need to change the stripe size to accommodate to those big, large sequential IOs. So because 2010 tends to do these larger IOs, the larger stripes work more effectively? Yes, exactly. It also does that regularly and especially in a process, new process called BDM, Background Database Maintenance. Mm-hmm which is a process that checks some, all of the databases, active or passive, 24 by 7 all the time. It has an average throughput of about 5 megabytes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just without any regards of Outlook being open or any client doing any work, just you know, grinding your databases and uh, basically checksumming all the time to make sure that 
there is no physical corruption, which is something we used to deal, uh, you know, quite a bit. And uh, so now we can proactively detect that. And in combination with another feature called page patching, once we detect that, we can just correct those physically corrupted pages, zeros and ones, form another copy, which is actually now I'm going to in another part of the conversation, which mm-hmm. is the high availability story in Exchange, and which we have multiple copies. So we detect that, we go to another copy, and we take that correct page, because it's on another copy, on another storage altogether, and then just patch that page that was physically corrupted. You don't think about uh, disk corruption much these days. I think we really take storage for granted, that all that just happens out of the hood and everything's fine. Well... Uh, you would think, uh, but I have seen, and I'm going like to exchange customers any other other week or any week, and I see customers, you know, from the smallest to the biggest, mm-hmm. with the most complex send you would think of, and even with the you know multiple pass I/O and expensive sends and symmetric, uh, you know, synchronous I/O stuff like that, you I still see physical corruption still happens. Wow either a bug in the HBA or in the fabric somewhere, or that it still happens. Lost flash, uh, you know, uh, you, you write the I.O. into the incorrect offset, although that's more rare, but it happens. Hmm. And I, I feel like we're also got competing technologies here, that, that Exchange has got its own technique for managing corruption and, and dealing with in, the, in the, the dabs, and so does a SAN. That is, you, you end up running redundant SANs with mirroring across them, and, and they're trying to take care of themselves as well. i, I got to think those two things that start competing with each other. Well, I don't know if it's competing per se, mm-hmm. but it's definitely something that we are allowing customers to not by the expensive sense or exchange, yeah, definitely. You don't need that because we have all of the logic that solves all of your problems that we used to solve with the SAN, right, in hardware right. or in the firmware of the hardware. Now we do that in software. So you can have, and, and it's all part of the vision of the big mailboxes at low cost, low cost mm-hmm. which we started at Exchange 2007, and we really delivered it in 2010, and we are continuing with the same story in 2013. So. It sounds like to me, then, if you've got an opportunity to do a Greenfield install of Exchange 2010, you wouldn't bother with a SAN at all, that you just use uh, direct-attached storage. Definitely, definitely. And actually, it's not just Greenfield. I have many customers that we started the conversation with performance issues, customers I've been dealing with, and many of them they just didn't know about this. So mm-hmm. I came along. I saw storage latencies for various reasons. I told them about you know the big mailbox story and that they can eliminate PST. Maybe even you don't need archives sometimes because you can have a big mailbox where you don't need the archive or PSTs and stuff like that. Right. And just, wow, I can just buy really low-cost storage. Exchange will manage all of the data across these servers plus disks because just this is exactly what they are, mm-hmm. and that's it. Life is good. And, and it's not like I'm going to throw out the SAN. I'm a perpetually running out of space in my SAN anyway, so the idea that I could move an app off of the SAN and free up space for other things that still need it, that's pretty compelling. Exactly. Not only that from space perspective, but from performance perspective. Now you have Exchange 
not grind in your disc anymore. Mm-hmm. So you have more performance for other stuff. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, you're actually going to lighten the load all around because it sounds like Exchange really does hammer on drives. That, that constant checking for, for consistency and so forth, none of that comes for free. That's a lot of spinning. Yep, yep. And in local storage, that's actually, well, it's not for free, of course, but it's much easier to do it because we are doing it in a sequential manner. Right. We are reading it sequentially. So if it's a local storage, like if you read a big file from your uh, hard drive in your laptop or PC at home or something like that, mm-hmm. if you just copy a file and it's, in, you know, it's defragged properly, so it's sequential on the disk, then it reads it very, very fast, so it's not an issue. If you are behind, let's say, quote-unquote black box or a fan, Right? You don't know where the data is stored, so you're doing a lot of random IOs, probably. Sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Hey, are you starting to see SSDs showing up in the enterprise around Exchange? So although SSDs and SANs and basically every type of storage you can think of is supported on Exchange, right. um, we don't think that that's, that's a good story, SSDs and Exchange, because the, the, the issue here is that, well, Mailbox says you want to get big. That's the part of the service, right? right. That's not just about the SLA of the uptime. You want big mailboxes. Everything is getting bigger. You have more data. And actually, in recent years, we, you know, more terabytes and lower costs. So SSDs is actually the opposite. If you want to go one tera, two terabyte databases, you would pay a lot yeah. in the enterprise in the SSDs. So you can do it, but uh, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I don't know that the performance that you get out of SSDs makes all that much of a difference to Exchange. I mean, mail is just not that real time. You know, they, they, they're not that big. I, I think I'd rather spend the money on the SSDs for something like SQL Server where I could have a bigger impact on the performance. Yeah, of course. So for any other very performance-driven uh, application that just need main, the main focus is on performance and not the capacity like uh, with your mailboxes, yeah, definitely. Sure. So how do you go about diagnosing that you've got configuration problems with your SAN and Exchange? I mean, it, they, you've obviously got a set of guidelines now from your experiences, but what did you do? What did you see that helped you realize that you had these different configuration settings needed? Okay, so first of all, when I go on site, uh, <clears throat> I start to ask questions, right? That's the first rule of any troubleshooting, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what's the scope? How many mailboxes? Is it a specific database? Uh, are you working in online mode, cache mode for Outlook? Um, that's also very relative, um, relevant. Sorry. And uh, after I ask the questions, and I also ask, did you run JetPress? Most of them will answer no. Those of them that answer yes, then they you can rule out storage, or most probably rule out storage is a problem because... Jespers will, that's the tool that checks if the storage can handle the I.O. If they didn't run Jespers, and I hear all of the other questions that they have, uh, you know, Outlook stuck, uh, it's just random, no any particular mailbox, stuff like that, then I go to an open performance monitor, and uh, which we also teach with the Vital Science Workshop, as you mentioned. Yep. And I just open some storage uh, counters, like logical disk, you know, the average disk read and write, so the latency for read and write, and then I focus on three uh, counters or three thresholds. I use the average and maximum values for disk reads mm-hmm. for the database, and I use the write latency for the logs. Okay, and, the, and these are the, this is part of the one of the exchange 
uh, uh, counter groups for disc reads, or is it uh, the hardware? No, no, no. You, well, you, actually, if I want to be really uh, you know thorough, you actually open up the exchange counters that are correlating to the database latency, mm-hmm. and you correlate them to the disk latency. But uh, right, so you're looking at do, you're looking at the disk subsystem as well as the exchange database. Uh, uh, objects yes. to compare those those behaviors, make sure you've got uh, some correlation there. Yes, exactly. And then I see that, oh, I see a spike here of latency reported from story XE from the exchange database. Mm-hmm. And then I see the exact same spike with the same pattern or, you know, the inclination in the graph. Uh, and then I see that as well with the same right. numbers. So, just so that you know that it's exchange that's doing it and not some other process running on the server. Yep, and I know that the disk is related to it because if the disk has no latency or you know within reasonable bounds of latency within the spec, and I see store latency, then I know there's something else, mm-hmm. either a driver, an antivirus, maybe a bug in exchange itself. You know, something else is doing it, sure. not the disk, because the disk is performing fine. So you need to do that correlation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely got to look at both to see what's going on. Now you just sort of breezed by jet stress. So let's step back. Yeah. What's jet stress and why do I care? So jet stress is a tool you download uh, for free from Microsoft.com. And it's a tool that once you go from the planning stage and before you, when you're through with the planning stage, you install the server, mm-hmm. you know, you configure the storage, whether it's SAN or DAS appropriately, and you connect the LANs to the, to the server as if tomorrow you are, you know, turning the the switch on and putting mailboxes on it. Right. Like you're, just you're, before the, you do that, you're at the point of moving mailboxes onto this new server. No, no, no. So actually before you install Exchange, oh, okay. uh, the server itself with the, with the OS is installed. Right. Right. You configure the LAMs and everything. It's the same hardware mm-hmm. as if tomorrow you, you will move mailboxes or install Exchange on it. Right. And before that, you install JetStress. You copy uh, the ESE DLL and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. ECDL, sorry, it's the database or the, the interface that handles the database for change. Okay. And then it basically simulates I.O. within the same patterns you would see in Exchange 2010. Nice. So you're, you're basically going to exercise your storage subsystem as if it was an Exchange server without using Exchange. Exactly. And you do it, well, the best practice is uh, for the first time you do it for two hours, just to see if it can handle the load. Mm-hmm. And then you do it for at least 24 hours to see that the storage can really cope with the long-running chain server, you know, no bugs in the hardware anywhere, right. you know, HPAs or direct controller or something like that, or any faulty disks maybe or whatever. Now, what sort of report am I going to get back from JetStress? So you will get an HTML report that mm-hmm. sums up basically like at the top you will see a fail or pass in green or red. Right. You will get uh, the achieved I.O., so how many I.O.s did the test actually do at maximum, mm-hmm. uh, which you then need to compare to your storage calculation that you did. We have an Excel uh, for Chain 2010 that you can calculate how many I.O.s you predict you will do. And then you compare the two. If you achieved, let's say, 1,000 I.O.s, and in the Excel sheet you calculated that you need no more than 800 and you passed, then you're done with the test. Nice. If, let's say, it's the other way around, so you achieved 800 and you passed, 
but in the Excel calculator, you said that you calculated or planned for a maximum of 1,000. Mm-hmm. Then you need to tweak the jet first in some, some of its settings is how hard do I grind the storage, basically. Sure. You need to tweak it or take it up a notch to make it go with you know, higher workload, and then hopefully you still pass. If you still pass and you are at least at the amount of IOs that was written in the Excel sheet, then you're good. If not, then you know you need to change something. Would you run Perfmon alongside Jet Stress just to get the disk IO uh, or the disk subsystem measurements as well? So it's actually doing it for you. Oh, okay. It also, it gives you uh, the BLGs, which are the output files for Perfmon or mm-hmm. Monitor. So it takes the capture for you and it analyzes them automatically, which is the HTML I just described. Right. Uh, so you don't really need to dig too much into it, but you can open open them up and analyze them manually for sure. Right, and also it's going to give you a set of here are the things that you that jet stress was measuring, so that you can set that up for yourself if you want to test later on once you're actually in production. Because yep. it sounds Definitely. like this is all pre-production tooling. You can't use jet stress once Exchange is deployed, or or can you? No, no, it's pre-production exactly. Okay, so this is this Production. is part of your preparatory. I'm supported. It's unsupported to install it on production environment. Right. Don't do that. That would be bad. Yeah, do it before you install Exchange and before you try and even think about moving mailboxes. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, the I, I, main thing there is just figuring out uh, its communication with the SAN. You know, you talked about this complexity at the beginning, uh, just the, the fact that it's working with the SAN very differently. You, you're probably going to get a surprise there that, that what comes out of jet stress is not what you expected. Yeah. Definitely, and actually, you just mentioned complexity. Mm-hmm. I just recalled an issue I had yesterday with the customer. Mm-hmm. So they are at the planning stage of exchange, and they just moved to the gestures phase, and they hooked up everything. This was a SAM. I wasn't involved in the planning, so they just bought a SAM mm-hmm. like they usually do, and they hooked up everything with a multiple path. So you know, every server is hooked up with multiple paths for fiber channel, and then it ends up with the SAN machine. Right. And what happened is during the 24 hours, so we passed the two-hour test because they tweaked it like I told them to. Right. And in the 24-hour test, one of the ports, uh, you know, malfunctioned or something. Right. So it's dead. But they do have another path, right? Okay. So supposedly, it should be good. But what happened is that the driver for these uh, multiple paths are very complex. So they, they had a bug, and for about, I don't know, half an hour, one hour of the test, they had horrible latency. I mean, horrible in terms of seconds. Wow. Latency should be measured in milliseconds. Yeah. Sure. And so this, that customer, mind you, bought a very expensive SAN mm-hmm. because of, you know, the, the, the virtues of the SAN. You know, I have multiple paths and all that. And actually, that's the Achilles heel. That complexity caused... And, you know, you, you rely on that, and then the port fails, and you, you think I'm, I'm protected because I have another path. Yeah. But you're basically not. And technically, it was still functioning. The other path is working there. But some kind of problem yeah. with, with this failover mechanism introduced this horrible level of latency. Yeah, Exactly. Well, I think you bring up an interesting point, too, which is that I would think that I would, besides just doing the 24-hour stress test saying, given everything's working, does it pass? I'd love to use jet stress and try different failure modes. You know, what happens if we do lose a drive in the sand or we lose one of the LUNs, 
or you know, however, whatever mechanism you're connecting with, just to see how the system reacts in failure. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, I, I didn't mention it because it's a long story about Jetos, but you also need to take a drive out, mm-hmm. see what's going on, if rate is reconstructing or whatever, how is that affecting performance? Sure. So you definitely need to do that, and you can do it, generally speaking, not for a change, although it's a different I.O. pattern, so you would get maybe different results if you are running a different application. Absolutely. But you can still use it to grind the storage, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I love the... Uh, people rarely test that, breaking or damaging uh, uh, a stripe array and then letting it rebuild while traffic's still running on it. So that you actually see, yeah, hey, a, a rebuild is incredibly stressful and it's going to significantly impact performance. It is, and unfortunately, customers and people don't really think about that. That's sure. A good point, yeah. Well, and you just get back to, you know, you've got to rebuild. Like, what do you, what do you, what's the alternative? Can you move off the array? Then what are you rebuilding for? Like, it's, it's, there's no easy answers there. But it, when it comes to provisioning storage well, knowing what the cost of, of rebuild is, it, I think it's important. Well, in Exchange 2010, actually, we have a lot of, you know, the, the, the product group did an amazing job about thinking of the different, you know, corner cases. Mm-hmm. And in this corner case, you, you can just auto-mount the database on a different server and in that server, hopefully, it's in a different storage altogether. Right. So the rate group is a different rate group. So you don't, you're not affected by this rebuild, or the users won't be affected. Right. There is actually a script in the scripts folder of Exchange when you install it that checks for the latency, mm-hmm. and it can take an action to to auto mount the database on a different server that is not experiencing that latency. Nice. So, I mean, this is part of an exchange administrator's job is during a recovery process like this, being able to move workloads around so that you can maintain performance while the equipment recovers. Yep. And it does seem to me, you know, you get back to your original thought that SANS can often interfere with this because now you've created this central place of storage that you really, you know, can't get off of very easily. Uh, And if it's having a problem, you reduce the amount of recourse that exchange has. Yeah, definitely, especially if it's a SAN where all of your copies of the cluster of Exchange, the DAG, all of them are, are in only one SAN, mm-hmm. then exactly, it doesn't make sense. And the SAN vendor will always be happy to sell you a second SAN if you want them to. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, management will be happy. <laughs> uh, it's always been my experience when I get in that situation where we're having problems with the SAN, is that they've talked to the SAN vendor about the problems they're having. The SAN vendor says, you know, if you buy another one, it'll be fine. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame the guy. He's oh, right. Yeah, you know, you just, need to up- you just need to upgrade this, this, this component, buy more this, yep. buy more cash, upgrade yeah. the... Yeah. Another backplane, you know, and it'll, I guarantee it'll be better. And he's right, it will be, but for a lot of money. It does seem to me that moving the responsibility for organizing the storage up to the application itself allows us to save s- some significant money on the back end. Definitely. And it allows you to have, I would say, better responses to s- several cases that we, in the past, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. Because now the application is managing the availability the disaster recovery, the recoverability of items from... There are a lot of stuff we can talk about here, but yeah, basically the application is smarter and you can do more stuff. So yeah, in the end, it knows the way the application is most likely to work, so it's able to do the best measurements and really understand what's going on. You know, my experience with Exchange 2010, there's a lot of troubleshooting and diagnostic instrumentation built in now. 
you can you can yeah yeah you can check a lot of stuff out straight from Exchange. You don't need a whole lot of other tools. No, we don't. Uh, have you got a favorite set of uh, of tools you run through uh, in Exchange when you're trying to figure out problems with it? Well, Performance is one of my main tools, mm-hmm. especially for performance issues. Uh, I don't know if it's just my comfort zone because I'm also a Windows internals guy. Sure. Um, there are a couple of scripts that we provided that can also really help. It's in the scripts folder. We have tons of them. Um, I don't remember the name by heart, but uh, check for database latency. And there is also the database uh, redundancy scripts that mm-hmm. helps you see how many databases are redundant and well, and how, what's the latency for your servers, generally speaking. Uh, so that these are all performance uh, troubleshooting tools. Mm-hmm. Um, you have XBPA, so the Exchange Best Practice Analyzer, yep. which also you know gives you within a few minutes you get a very overall high level, you know what's going on. How am I doing? What what I need to install, change, config? Mm, so these are a couple, and then it depends on the issue. If it's mail flow, you go to dive into the mail flow troubleshooter or right. open the queue viewer, right? So it depends on the issue. BPA does seem to be the best place to start. It tends to point you in the right direction right off the bat. Yeah, if, if, and even if it doesn't, you know, it, it, you only waste like five ten minutes. Sure, and you saw that. Generally speaking, stuff is okay, and then you go into another direction. Yeah, ne- next hell. It's got to get more interesting when you start dealing with uh, distributed DAGs, multi- many more servers, and it's the interplay between the servers that becomes more of the issue. What do you mean by that? Just the more servers we introduce into an exchange infrastructure, the more complicated it gets in figuring out where are we having the problems. Um, yes and no. I mean, especially if you know your environment, if you planned a 10-node DAG, mm-hmm. well, it will be a bit harder to manage. Yeah, you need more work on it. Uh, but if you know your servers and you know the environment, you kind of know sometimes what to look for. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay, that server I know. So, yes or no. If you're a newbie, yeah, it will be harder. Yeah, first coming into an infrastructure like that, it just takes some time to learn what's in there. Definitely. And Eventio, by the way, I didn't mention it. It's another very important tool in Exchange because we have a lot of stuff being reported mm-hmm. to the event viewer, so to the event logs. So that's a very important tool. The Exchange Event Viewer? Yeah. No, no, just the Windows Event Viewer. The Windows Exchange. Event Viewer, right. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of stuff being reported up there as well, which is, which is important in the equation. Yeah, backups failing, or if ESC, the database, has an issue, it will report it there. Any issue with replication, mm-hmm. with the dev, with the cluster, with... Basically, everything that's going on, you'll see in the venue, definitely. Is it easier to get into Operations Manager for pulling uh, events? Well, Operations Manager will definitely collect all of those. Right. Definitely. So mm-hmm. you can use either, whatever you feel comfortable. Whatever's easier for you. But uh, um, I've become a big Operations Manager fan just because sniffing through lots of events takes a lot of time. It's e- I like having the tool bring it together for me. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I guess it depends on the... What sort of infrastructures are you running into out there? What are your customers using? How many servers is a lot? Well, Israel is a small country, so our companies are relatively smaller than the ones in the U.S., I guess. Mm -hmm. A big company in Israel will be something like, uh, uh, you know, 10,000 mailboxes. Right. That's a big company in Israel. That's a lot of mailboxes. Uh, No, it's a big company for Israel. We don't have many of those. Actually, if you think about it, even 2,000 mailboxes or three or four are 
you know, a big company in Israel. Sure. Uh, which in, in the U.S. are considered, you know, medium, something like that. It always begs the question, uh, should we be moving over to Office 365 then? Like, uh, why still run your own exchange infrastructure? Well, definitely, it's a viable option. Mm-hmm. It's something I think every organization needs to ask themselves before they move. Do I really want to invest in the new infrastructure? What's, what's my value there versus what's my value in the cloud? Office 365, of course. Um, still, some customers are... Well, some of them have regulations to keep the data, you know, within the country. Yes. There are various, you know, reasons. Some, a lot of the customers in Israel are secure customers, mm-hmm. so they're just not connected to the internet. Period. Right. And so those can't move to the to Office 365. But definitely, most of the other customers that are, you know, well connected to the internet and don't have any regulation or rule that define that their data needs to sit within their data center or within the country. Mm-hmm. They should definitely look it up. Look it up before they even plan on yeah, upgrading. And it's not like Exchange administration goes away just because the uh, service is hosted in the cloud. There's still lots to do. Yeah, definitely. There's still a lot of work of in, in terms of the migration, the coexistence, and uh, managing even if you're in the cloud, there's stuff to manage. And, sure. Yeah. So what's next for you, Benny? What are you working on now? In- well, I'm actually in the middle of uh, started uh, an extract today. That's an exchange risk assessment program. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, assessing a customer's environment for exchange weaknesses. You know, we have our best practice. Mm-hmm. We have the true north, and we want to make sure that the customers are at that. So I'm doing that, and actually I started analyzing uh, their performance today, just before I joined the call, and uh, they appear to have some issues. And let me tell you, my friend, they have a fan. <laughs> I think you brought us full circle, Betty. I appreciate that. So you find some yeah. issues with the SANs. And risk assessment, you know, I automatically think security, but you're also thinking about infrastructure and configuration and all those sorts of things. Everything, performance, configuration, everything, yeah. Absolutely. Benny, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.